<laughs> Good evening. Welcome to Real Talk Podcast Live with Willie and Terrell. Tonight's topic is com- uh, community mobilization. Town Hall is coming up later this week. Yes. We're really excited about this town hall meeting. Uh, it really is a, a continuation, and I'm going to say it, uh, of our Black Folks Only meeting. And Miss um, Enola Aird and Dr. Giles uh, Grills will be in Omaha starting Thursday um, at 2 p.m. Uh, we'll be doing uh, facilitated training and train the training at the Malcolm X Foundation um, website for the next three days. But but the um, the 24th, I'm really excited about the panel and the discussion around white supremacy. So what are your thoughts on white supremacy and what we need to do as a people to address it? Because I know that's a broad... Um, my thoughts on white supremacy. Um, I think for a while, I think we were asleep on the fact that it never went away. And a lot of people bought into it. We were a post-racial society and things like that. And now that we got this dude in office, it's, it's showing its face again, which I'm kind of happy because, not that I agree with this, because I, I think it's woken a lot of our people up to the reality that we, we can't stop fighting. Our fight is never ending until we get our, right, our rightful place in this nation or in this world, honestly. And before we too get too far in this conversation, um, um, what Tuesday night or Thursday night you had your campaign kickoff. Campaign kickoff, mm-hmm. um, folks. Um, Terrell McKinney had this campaign kickoff down at the Love Jazz, and it was uh, beyond uh, your expectations. You think? Yeah, it was. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> Because I've been to a couple campaign kickoffs where nobody showed up, and then I've been to one where a lot of people showed up. So I was like, I really don't know. I th- I think I'm thinking people gonna show up, but you never know. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what did you take away from that night? Um, I think the biggest thing I took away from that night is that I could win, and I got a chance. I just got to keep pushing. And um, if folks want to donate to your campaign. Or volunteer for your campaign, they need to go to where? Go to my website, peopleforterrellmckinney.com. Sign up to volunteer. Also donate as much as possible. And so uh, how much money do you think you'll need to, to win this, this election? <laughs> See, I don't know. I'm, I'm really unsure because, one, Senator Chambers have been in his office for outside of Brenda for, what, almost 50 years. And he never really campaigned. Brenda was the only one that campaigned. And when I looked at her, she raised like 60 almost. So, and then you look at other races across the city, they're raising between 60 and $100,000. So, but I also don't officially have an opponent yet. Right, right, right. So that, that factors in it too. So I'm hoping, well, I'm sure somebody's going to officially announce and register and things like that, but they still haven't. So no one has registered to run? Not, none of them are registered. I look, I look at it every week. The, the, I see Dennis's name, but he's not registered. Uh, and he, he's, he acted like he was, he was. Uh, he did, but yeah. he, see, I, I, I've seen him a couple of times. He, I think he be trying to play that, uh, that, uh, 
that old man role, like a come up and shake your hand hard. I just laughed at him like, dude, that don't intimidate me, dude. You <laughs> said old man role. You <laughs> said, said old man role. Well, look, uh, you know, uh, I, I really, uh, I like Dennis. Um, I've supported Dennis in, in the past. Um, but um, I want to make sure that my feelings are known from the jump. Um, I'm supporting you, uh, and that uh, I believe that you bring um, honesty, passion, intellect, um, but your heart, your heart is committed to this community. Um, you could have easily, you know, after you got your degree, went to corporate America. You could have easily went and said, hey, you know, I got mines. Now I'm gonna get out of here, man, and 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 do some other things. But your heart is with your community. Mm-hmm. It's with your community, and um, you stand for something. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big thing because you, you know you see people just flip flop. Nah, I, it's been it's been real interesting. I'm getting a lot of people coming up talking to me and things like that, and it's just. I take, for me, I take everything with a grain of salt. I listen to anybody, but I'm going to go off my own, my own feelings and my own direction. But I'll listen to you. But it, it's just interesting, the type of people that walk up and talk to you. And I'm like, okay, cool. But at the end of the day, if, it, if it's against anything I stand for, I will not, I don't, I don't need your support. I don't need anything if it goes against my morals and my beliefs. You know, and um, that's why I'm so excited about this year in 2021 that we got we got some individuals in here that can bring about change because first of all, you never never ran for office before, mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, we need some we need some individuals in there that has never ran for office. That politics is not a it's not their life, yeah. uh, and to be able to get in there and, and and be about making a difference, but not just making a difference, but have the skill set. To make the difference, and then most people don't know because man, you humble as humble, humble as hell. I know uh, <laughs> William King told me that when I when I was when I like ran down everything. He was like, dude, why don't you ever talk about? It? I was like, because I, I mean, I just don't like talking about myself, talking about myself, mm-hmm. and it's something like I gotta learn, but it's just not. It's never been me. Yeah. But but this young man, is, um, <laughs> this young man has a has a bachelor's degree. He has a master's degree. And he's in the law school. Now, he's state senator. You need to have some type of uh, intellect to be able to read laws or things of that nature. So what would be the biggest challenge for you if elected as the state senator? Biggest challenge for me if elected? Um, I don't know. I mean... Probably, mm, I really don't know, because uh, I think me being, when I do become a new senator, it's, it's going to be a challenge in itself, learning the system and learning everything and getting acclimated with the office, um, I would say... Mm, I don't know. 
Because I mean, talking to talking to other senators, they always say like, "Oh, you gotta be down there, and you gotta." For me, I'm like, yeah, but I still don't feel like I can make the correct type of changes we need if I'm in Lincoln all the time. So I don't know if that's a challenge, but that's definitely gonna be something I make sure I'm. I'm when I can, I'm in Omaha with the people or doing something in the community. I don't want to be stuck in Lincoln. I know that's a part of the job, but it's another part of the job is also engaging with the people and, and understanding their issues. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things for sitting in the chambers was that he did that I, I really enjoyed was um, he was on Channel 22. We knew what was coming down the pipe before it came down the pipe. Mm-hmm. because he was constantly informing us, educating us about some of the things that were taking place down, down in Lincoln. Uh, I know right now we don't have a Channel 22 per se, so what mechanism would you put in place, would you use uh, to be able to keep folks informed uh, about some of the things that's going to be disproportionately affecting people of color? Um, I'll use... I would say use weekly newsletters, also utilize social media as much as possible. Facebook Live, Instagram Live. Live is like the best thing that, like as far as engagement, it takes control. You have control now. So utilizing technology as much as possible to reach the people. Um, Also holding meetings in the community somewhere as much as possible, at least once or twice a month. Maybe once a month is good. I mean, it's not all the time, but if you're doing all the other stuff, that one thing is not the end all be all. So just being creative and and, because I know with the older individuals in our community, they're not necessarily going to be on live, but they come to a community meeting and the younger people ain't going to come to a community meeting. They're going to look at you on live. So you just got to adapt to all the crowds and just be active. Well, look, man, let's get off of this conversation. Hopefully, Larry, Larry Duncan will call in to talk about this upcoming uh, Global Truth Tour town hall meeting uh, that's going to be held at the Malcolm X Memorial Foundation, 3448 Evans, Omaha, Nebraska. The trail of the enslaved Africans in Richmond, Virginia, to the birthplace of Malcolm X. Man, that's some powerful. Um, so, 6.30 to 9.00. Sponsored by Black Men United, it is 2019, the 400-year anniversary of the first recorded forced arrival of Africans in the United States. And doing anything while black can still be dangerous. Why? Come learn about the lie and how we can address it once and for all. Join the Community Healing Network, an association of black psychologists, for a town hall meeting to learn about the root cause of racial of racism against people of African ancestry. So, what do you think are some of the some of the uh, root causes of racism root from, cause. your, your, from your perspective? Uh, it's been systematically implemented. I would say a lot of races. Racism is handed down from generation to generation. They're told, stay away from black people, we're, we're bad people, we do this, we do that. Um, it's perpetuated in the media, how they cover us and 
you you will see a black boy and a black and a little white boy get to commit the same crime, but the headline is gonna be completely different. Right. Yeah, right. Um. It's just the root cause is the biggest thing. Is just how they felt, how they rationalize enslaving a bunch of individuals from Africa. That's the biggest root cause of how they justified it in their minds. We weren't humans to them, so it's still lingering on today. We still, we still deal with the effects of slavery, and they still deal with racism because they never checked it. Right, right, right. Um, well, you know, we everybody doing this these big celebrations now. I went went to D.C. and they had the celebration in the Congressional Black Caucus, but. I think we need to do more because this is trauma, all right? Yeah. We're dealing with trauma so much so that it literally changed our DNA. And we can't understand why we're walking around here mad, angry, you know, why we're depressed sometimes. And we're trying to figure this thing out. And it's really tied to, directly to, racism and oppression and what we have been going through for over 600 years. I agree. I think I don't know. For me, what is the four hundred years commemorate? Like, what does is it? They can't kill us. They can never erase us from this earth, because that's the only thing. Like, they there's nothing tangible. Like, okay, we we still living, but we still being oppressed. Are we just supposed to be happy? We lasted four hundred years. Um, look at our look at every black neighborhood across this nation. We all in the same situation. Nobody else outside of Atlanta, and Atlanta got poverty in black neighborhoods. And that's the closest thing to what we aspire to be. So, I don't know, like, how it's hard for me to just commemorate and, like, I, I don't see how people commemorate and celebrate 400 years after slavery. I just, what is the purpose? Like, what are you happy for? I'm not happy. We got too many black men and women in jail. We got our, we got too many black men and women in poverty. Our econ, um, our economic system is horrible. Our education that we our, our kids are getting is bad. I just don't see. It, for me, it makes me sad. It's like dang, like we like we here. When are we ever gonna be accepted as Americans? You know, when we when I went to the commemoration in Washington. Uh, I felt the same way. Uh, I was like, uh, why are we continually acknowledging or commemorating something that is so horrific uh, every year? Um, I, we need to be thinking about what can we do to heal ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that would be more, much more important. And that's why these safe spaces is so And I think the, the worst part about it is we're commemorating it with the same people that are oppressing us every day. Like, it, like for me, it makes no sense. So we're going to say, oh, we're commemorating lynchings. But when you got the police up here and you got dude that support Trump, I'm like, come on, man. Like, it, it, it makes no sense to me. Like... We we commemorate lynchings, but we still got people that perpetuate all this stuff. Still, I I just it, it makes no sense to me. I wouldn't commemorate anything and have the same oppressor standing next to me. You know, I, 
in the um, I went I went to the uh, Willie Brown um, event downtown, mm-hmm. and I was trying to make make sense of it because when I walked down, it was so hypocritical. <laughs> <laughs> so when I walked when I walked when I walked down and I saw all these people and probably seventy five percent of the people that was there was white, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, so why are these why are these people acknowledging a hundred years of of uh, of lynching of Willie Brown. I think um, it makes them feel good that they showed up to something, and that, that's all I think it is. It it just makes them feel less less guilty about themselves. So we just we just um, walked in, uh, Mr. Larry Duncan, uh, the guru of mental health. And the face of mental health for the Charles Drew uh, Health Center, and uh, also one of the key folks in organizing this this uh, this event coming to take place the 24th through the 28th, and it, it starts with the community town hall meeting. So, what are, what are, what are we hoping to? To accomplish with, first of all, introduce yourself, Mr. Dustin. Yeah, I just blew in and I see they set me up. They, uh, I came <laughs> in and they gave me the little seat, you know what I'm saying? They, uh, so I'm all down here and they all up here. So, uh, really, the whole, really, the premise of the conference that's coming up, okay, look like I'm about to get a seat here, is, uh, thank you so much. That was the producer right there. He's make sure everything stays in line. Keep all keep the attitude right. So, but that just that what just happened right there is an example of the overall theme of the conference, because what what the their model for the community healing network the model is uh, defying the lie, which is the lie of white superiority and black inferiority. And so uh, understanding how that um, misconception, that myth, uh, that untruth, how that is at the root of so many things that have taken place uh, in the country and so many things that have taken place across the globe. That mistruth, that, that myth, uh, you know, and as the Community Healing Network puts it, that straight up lie. It's an untruth. And so the thing that's interesting about it is it, it hurts the people who are subject to it because ultimately uh, you can internalize that and begin to believe the untruth and uh, not conduct yourself, carry yourself, expect much out of yourself because you somehow believe that you are lesser than or lower than other people. So even though a minute ago I was sitting in a chair and I was lower, it was just a chair. I still knew mentally, psychologically, I was on the same level as these men. I was no higher, I was no lower, lower than them, even though I was sitting in a chair that was beneath them. So if you can look at that as an example, how if you feel that you're one down and people feel that they're one up, it's even uh, bad for the people that feel that they're one up. Give an example, uh, the whole concept of cognitive dissonance, which means that in order for me to mistreat you, 
I have to feel like you're worthy to bis be mistreated. Yeah. So if in order for me to uh, not treat you as a human, I have to see you as uh, not human. In order for me to treat you as a citizen that's worthy of all the rights of all the citizens, I have to see you as such. And because I don't, that gives me the ability to do really drastic things. So, I mean, it's, it's just debatable and people can talk about it back and forth. But the fact that it's in a person's mind that I am to fear you as a black person. I am to fear you because you have some tendencies that are not human and some expectations. I can expect that, that because it's in a person's mind and you give that person a gun and call them a government, a government official and give them the right to take life on the spot, if that mentality is in their head, when they're put under pressure, the only thing they know is shoot to kill. Not back away slowly, not get the drop on you, none of that. That that says, because I see you as something less than human, something unworthy of my extra consideration and my benefit of the doubt, I will shoot you and kill you and ask questions later. So, I mean, that's just, just a current example because in reality, we know from, from facts you know, black people and brown people not running around America shooting up white people and, and killing them and being a threat. We're not invading uh, neighborhoods out in the suburbs and, and, you know, running up on people and, you know, taking lives and taking names and taking money. So if you looked at it in a factual sense, you have less reason to fear us than you do a whole lot of people than you do your own self. So, so that's not the issue. It's not like you're concerned about what we're going to do. It's whatever's in your mind, and your training says, if you shoot, you shoot to kill. You don't shoot the womb, you don't shoot the maim, you don't do it. If you pull the trigger, you're aiming a center body mass. That's why we have all these videos of law enforcement officials being able to take some people down without ever, you know, pulling a gun on the person. They do go through all kinds of different uh, scenarios to prevent themselves from having to be in that situation why I have to kill you? Because some of those people, you're looking at them as human. You're looking at them like they could be your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. They're just like you. And so you see their humanity. Your humanity speaks to their humanity and you don't do it. So I drug that all out to say that kind of uh, mentality is at the root of a whole lot of problems. If, if I don't see you as human, I can work you from sun up to sundown. If I don't see you as human, I can put you in the middle of the uh, bottom of a ship. I'll stack you on top of other people in your own feces and urines and drag you across the ocean. And if you ain't going to make it, I got to throw you overboard. And I know you, half of you ain't going to make it. I can do that to you. If, you, if you're not, if I don't see you as human, I can whip you into an inch of your death. I can cut off parts of your body. If I don't see you as human, I can take your body and do whatever I want to do with your body uh, for my own pleasure. All those kinds of things. So you can see the injury is twofold. It's an injury to the people that are being wounded and afflicted, and there's an injury to the people who are doing the wounding and affliction, and, and, and both people need healing. So the whole uh, tour that's coming to Omaha has to do with healing, and it has to do with healing of the black community and, and specific, the type of things that we need to do to heal our own generational trauma, psychological trauma, and to really get at the root of some of the things that uh, have been injurious to us. I mean, all the study groups and focus groups that we've done up until this point, just as uh, uh, community activists and advocates 
and community workers are the type of things that we've done. You say you wanted to. That's an inside joke. I'm an advocate, okay? So uh, all the things that we've done to, to survey the people, the people say that psychological, emotional damage, problems, trauma, and issue is at the root of what's going on with us as black people and really need to be dealt with, needs to be high on the agenda, that type of healing, that type of ministry, that type of help, that type of assistance needs to be high on the agenda. So the bottom line is, uh, we as a people, one of the things in our community that must be dealt with is that our pain must be addressed. There must, it must be addressed and there has to be a process of healing in order for that to happen. There has to be some understanding, there has to be some knowledge, has to be some spaces where we're comfortable being together and being at a place where we can talk freely and openly amongst each other. And then, you know, somewhere we can advocate for other people, uh, folks who are suffering from cognitive dissonance, to really get to a place where they can begin to see other people as human, worthy of all those considerations that any other human is worthy of. So I'm Larry James Duncan, and yes, I'm, I'm involved in mental health and education and, and leadership in the, in the mental health uh, arena. I believe that uh, access to mental health services is imperative. I think there's a lot of work that people like myself have to do to really get an understanding uh, in the community that uh, having psychological, emotional pain is no different than having uh, injury to your body, uh, having some other kind of physical condition, it's real, et cetera, et cetera. I was talking to somebody at work today and they were saying that a, they, they, a, a patient came in and the patient uh, is under the custody of one of the parents, I won't say which, I won't try to give any clue as to who this is, under the custody of one parent, and, but the other parent has the insurance information. But the other parent don't want to participate and give up the insurance information to the other parent so that the kid can get uh, mental health services. They don't want to do it. They're holding out. It's real difficult and all like that. Now, if this kid has some type of physical injury or they have some type of serious disease, do you truly think that that other parent would be withholding the insurance information? I guarantee you they'd be Johnny on the spot beating feet down there to make sure that their kid got whatever they need to deal with their illness, their injury, something got broken, something got fractured. You see what I mean? Right. There's a disorder that they wouldn't they wouldn't be holding out on that. But mental health is something that they think they can hold out on. Not understanding that an injury is an injury, it doesn't matter if it's psychological, it doesn't matter if it's physical, it really doesn't matter if it's if it's spiritual. If you've been injured and you're suffering and you're in pain. Uh, the healing process must be done and if it must must begin and if uh, we don't do that and we do certain things we can keep the uh, injury going so I, I know that's a heck of an introduction but I'm long-winded like that I'm not gonna even say I'm not gonna be before you long you know that was that was that was a pastor talking right there we didn't catch that <laughs> but um, um I really want to talk about how we got to this point with the um, actually global troop tour landing in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, again, 2016, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we had our first black folks only meeting. As you uh, hear by the title, it caused a lot of confusion, 
Um, it caused a lot of uh, mistrust among folks, uh, and I'm talking about my own folks. Mm. But the whole premise behind the meeting was for us to be able to have a safe space to be in, mm. to be able to address the problems within our own community. And uh, from that, mm -hmm. from that, we had several of the, the meetings that were well attended, and we wanted to learn more about uh, the Community Healing Network. So we, uh, I ran into uh, Ms. Shelley Henderson, who has been doing this work for a while, uh, talking about implicit bias, and uh, talk about um, uh, defying the lie, and uh, white superior, uh, superiority and, and black inferiority. And uh, she's been doing a phenomenal job, not just locally, but, but nationally, addressing these particular issues. So um, we found out about the Community Healing Network, uh, went to Washington, D.C., and attended the facilitator training. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we walked into the building, it was a powerful thing because we heard the drums. The drums started beating, man, and it was, it was like, it was like a call to order. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, where's the drums coming from? Where's the drums coming from? And so we, we followed the drums, yeah. went upstairs, and when we got upstairs, it was, the, for me, it was, it was inspirational. It was, mm -hmm. it was engaging uh, to hear the beats of the drum and uh, knowing that it was a call, call to order, if you will. And um, then, then it began, uh, and we, we met some phenomenal people. Dr. Grills is, uh, you just have to be in front of this woman to, to know that she is one powerful queen. Mm -hmm. uh, she's so intellectually uh, potent, if you will, <laughs> about what we need to do as far as black folks uh, to be able to emancipate from this <laughs> This, uh, this struggle that we've been in for over 600 years. Mm -hmm. So we actually were are bringing them here to do training. But um, when, we, when, we, when we got trained as facilitators, we came back and we started doing emotional emancipation circle meetings. Uh, we didn't want more than 12 people mm -hmm. in the class. Mm -hmm. And uh, you facilitated all of those and it was well attended. So walk us through the, the 12 emotional emancipation circle meetings that we had and what was the overall feel from you, your perspective? What did we get out of that? Okay, so, uh, you know, I mean, as you said, we, we went through the training ourselves. We went to BC um, and uh, our first day in there, we heard the drums, we followed the drums. We got there, we stood in a circle and then the uh, person who was uh, uh, playing the drum, so to speak, came and stood in front of each person. So it was a large circle of people. This individual came by and he stood in front of each uh, each person. So now, you know, I've heard drums on TV, I've heard uh, drums here and there. I never really uh, experienced in my lifetime uh, uh, native to the motherland drums being played that close with that intention. So he came and stood in front of each person and, um, you know, as he got to me and uh, stood in front of me, that there was definitely uh, some energy being transferred between whatever was going on with them drums 
and my spirit. Mm -hmm. And then as you as he came to other different people, people everybody had a different reaction. But if he really was present, there was people who he came to that just broke out and danced. Just broke out. It was spontaneous. It wasn't like they, you know, planned it. Like they wasn't like they was doing the hustle or, uh, you know, uh, the uh, what do you call it, Cooper Shuffle or nothing like that. Well, they that. just broke out uh, in some kind of spontaneous African uh, dance. Yeah, type of uh, ethnic type of dance that was just beautiful to behold. So I mean, you know, and we go on from there. But the, the, I say that to say that started the process for me to actually go through the, the process. And so we were, I was being trained to lead this facilitation process of healing. I was being trained to do that. But at the same time, I was actually going through a process of healing myself live in, in, in person there. So when you, when you have both where uh, you get the skills and the information and the know-how and a game plan and an outline where you can take people through, I should say that this outline and this process has been done in combination with the African American Psychological Association. So these are professionals who came up with this curriculum, a full-fledged, step-by-step, well-thought-out curriculum to take us through from uh, day one, in this case, we were there for, I think, three and a half days, uh, take us through that process of our own uh, emotional healing. So uh, the, 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 the quick aspect of it is the very first thing you're asked to do is something that we really have not been allowed to do uh, in, this, in this life. What we, what we are expected to do black people out there in America, what we're expected to do is carry your load. Carry your load, deal with whatever goes down, you know, uh, be strong, doesn't matter what's going through, the house burnt down, somebody got shot, all this madness is going on around, whatever the case may be, folks being mistreated. I remember the first time riding around in, uh, the car with my dad, me, my dad, and my, and my brothers riding around the car in the city of Chicago. We was going somewhere, and we happened to be in the other side of town. Police rolled up real deep and uh, really was a threat to all of us in the car, and we wasn't really doing anything, but to see my father respond somewhat in a uh, passive way just to prevent the situation from happening, then I realized right then and there, uh, you know, the type of stuff that he had to carry. To, my father was a very intelligent man, but yet the type of uh, jobs that he was uh, qualified to do he was not able to do based on restrictions, discrimination, uh, racism, you, you know, you call it whatever you want, a monkey in the silk suit to the monkey, based on all that. And what that does to a person, what that does to a person's uh, steam, uh, self-worth, self-value. So bottom line is we are expected to carry all this stuff as black people, all the injustices, all of the hardships, uh, live in neighborhoods where, I mean, I live in a neighborhood where uh, they had no no sports. They had no swimming pool. We we went to school in mobiles, old fashioned books, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can go fifteen minutes, twenty minutes uh, uh, west on the bus, and the same school, high school, whatever, is a campus. These people, they, you thought these people were in college, but they were actually in junior high, just like you. Swimming pools, uh, fountains, you know, whatever the case may be. So to be in a place where your resources are, are little to none, 
and you have to grow up believing that the society that you're in has no regard for you. No regard for you. What that does to you. So to be in a place where you can actually, listen to me, people, you can actually talk about that. You can actually talk about that. Whereas you've lived a life where the, the, the unwritten message is, thou shall not bring these things up. You bear it. You carry it. You, 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 you deal with it. You see what I mean? That is what we do as black people. Now, the facts say, because we're doing that, we're dying early. You see what I mean? We're dying early. We're suffering significantly on a lot of fronts, emotionally, psychologically, etc., spiritually. That's the price we pay to carry these loads. We pay a price for it, but we still pay it every day. When you look at the state of Nebraska, from what I understand, the, the, the area with the lowest life expectancy in the whole state is where we at. That's a, that's a heck of a, uh, a process. So the process starts with you being free to finally talk about the impact that being black in America has had on you. Pardon me if I really, if there's no way to say that and, and poo-poo that because when you, when you try to poo-poo it, and, and you get mad because I said it. Even some black people just, just stop talking about that. We need to get over that. That was a long time ago. Uh, 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 whatever. Uh, even some of our own selves, we think that. But the reality is there's a, quite, there's a, there's a stress and a strain and a load and a uh, heaviness that comes from carrying that day-to-day. -day, all these microaggressions coming at you from different ways that people look at you and treat you and handle you and respond to you and deal with you and da-da-da-da. All that to actually get to a place where you can process that. Look at all the implications of that. Look at all the historical aspects of that. Look at the, how they're really the total... Uh, impact that that has on you and once you really have that freedom now let's begin to do the work to build you up and uh, build in a different frame of mind and a different heart set with you with affirming uh, understanding based drawn upon the ancestors and the, and the, the heroes and the sheroes of our culture that have uh, laid a way for us in regards to uh, the work that they've done, being reminded of that, being reminded of our spiritual roots and being reminded of our spiritual self-efficacy. Efficacy means our ability to do, being reminded that, that that is rooted in our spirituality and understand that apart from some of the junk that goes on in church and in some of the religious things that we, you know, staying now, is it because... Uh, some of the junk that goes on with religion and organized religion, people defect from there and as a result cut themselves off in a lot of cases from one source of healing. But to really look at spirituality uh, in its real sense, in its real value, in its real connection to God, we had an opportunity right after the, was it right after? It was right after the, our experience with the uh, circles, emotional emancipation circles, we had a chance to go to the motherland. And we're going back again, but we had a chance to go to Motherland and to see spirituality because we went into the dungeons and we went into the places where our people uh, first began to launch off into uh, their journey to get here. 
we were there in those same places, those holding cells. And then a, a guy came out that was a priest. And he said, what I'm going to do for y'all right here in these dungeons, I'm going to break off to y'all the spirituality that we practice prior to being colonized. Uh, and, and it went through a whole process with us. So understanding some of the aspects of spirituality, I mean, and again, that, uh, you, you know, sometimes you throw the bathwater out with the, uh, the, the, the baby out with the bathwater. So I'm not saying church should be thrown out the window. I'm not saying organized religion should be thrown out the window. But what I am saying, and I'll say it here tonight for the first time live, I've ever said it, live on TV. I'm saying it for the first time. This is an exclusive. What I'm saying is organized religion, the church, in our community, the black church and organized religion, we have to get used to the fact that there's some things about us that must be criticized and looked at. We can't just act like it's all good all the time and thou shalt not say anything to criticize. Because of that, because of that mentality, people just totally reject it. Because if I can't say nothing about it, if we can't look at uh, the aspects of this organization that is being harmful to people... Then I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Well, we, we have to get to the place where we realize there's some things that we taught that was false. There's some things that was handed to us from oppressors and colonizers that, that had a Mickey Finn included. A Mickey Finn, it was a, it was a kill pill that was included in it. That they took the good, added the Mickey Finn, and you know, you got a lot of people now sleep as a result of that. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about how that is that was put forth to us to make us docile, to make us not question anything, to make us go along with the plan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some of that needs to be criticized, and we really need to understand that God, Christ, uh, the, those concepts are not uh, packaged in a white box with uh, you know, a white ribbon, that there are some things about it that we need to understand that represents us that may be different than the mainstream. We're so busy trying to be diverse that we don't really understand that there's some things related to us that needs to be spoken to. And so spirituality is a part of that. Social involvement is a part of that. There's another things, a number of things having to do with uh, edifying and affirmation and community. We are community people. We're not just individuals. If you uh, try to do it by yourself, and you know, it's like there's a proverb that says, if you want to go fast, Go, uh, go by yourself if you want to go fast. If you want to go far, you need a community. We are a community people. We're communal people. We are a spiritual people. We are a people that has a, a, a deep, rich history that must be understood. So they, the process of healing means you have to deal with all that. That that begins to give you a sense of really, truly who you are in, on this planet, imagine black children all over America understanding who they truly are. You're not just a G. You see what I mean? You're not, you're not a YG or MG. Or, you, you are, if you understand your history, you understand you are, understand that our history began before we came to the shores of America. Our, our history began before our enslavement. When you begin to understand that, that is empowering and edifying to a young person to understand that I do have a place in this world that is not just simply a place of oppression 
and a place of, of discrimination and all that. I have a place that's different from that. So uh, that's a little bit about the process. A little bit. Man, you don't, you don't pass us, get the mic, boy. You have to. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, I think one of the things that I took away from the, the training was that it allowed me the ability to be vulnerable. Um, and most people do not like being in that particular space. But I had to, I had to feel safe in order for me to even go there. And through the training and facilitating, um, I was able to get into a space where I can actually look at myself and see some of the things that are really causing me trauma, causing me to be depressed, angry, the whole nine yards. And it was, it was, it was so cool to, to see that you had PhDs, you had mm -hmm. people with master's degrees, you had people that um, um, were business owners and they were suffering the same mm. traumas that I was. Mm -hmm. So it don't make no difference where or what level you was at. We're all burying all this pain mm. and anxiety um, and uh, we need to be able to have a space that we can be in uh, to be able to address that trauma and address that pain. And so I was just, I was just glad to be able to be in that particular space. And then once I experienced that, I said, oh man, we gotta bring this back to Omaha. Mm, yeah. I thought the, the EECs were great. It was always like, a, like the vibe in the room was just different. Mm -hmm. Everybody was just kind of being themselves and opening, opening up and not being afraid to speak on some things. I'm sure like they probably don't tell the most people, which I thought was great. Um, can't wait to do them again. Because I think they're definitely needed for all of us. Because I, I think our healing doesn't stop after a training yeah. or is, it has to be ongoing. So um, after we did the training, mm -hmm. um, we wanted to, um, they, well, the, most all the groups would say, well, look, I want to become a facilitator. Mm -hmm. all right? And uh, we want to do a trainer, trainer, because we need more people out here doing this type of particular training. And so we actually are bringing Enola Aird and Dr. Grills here to be able to do, not only for train people as facilitators, mm -hmm. but also actually train people as trainers. And so uh, I'm ecstatic to have this take place and also to be able to be in a safe space where um, we need to get healed. I think it's good. I think the more people that are willing to be trainers and the more people that are willing to talk about these things make it less taboo in our in our community and more people will be willing to open up, open up about stuff because for a long time a lot of the stuff in the black community was like if it, if, don't say what goes on in this, in this house outside yeah. of this house mm -hmm. and I think that's been harmful to a lot of people mm -hmm. from, a, from a positive uh, standpoint brother uh, Terrell um, and this is something that I'm uh, giving some consideration to in, in my research and in the work that I'm doing in, in, in my lane. Uh, what are some of the some of the traits 
that you had that you believed helped you to either deal with some of the conditions that you came up in or help you to uh, overcome some of the uh, restrictions and constraints and uh, oppression. A lot of times we, we give thought to the fact that people grow up in some difficult situations and then people grow up in oppression and racism and discrimination and, and, and they don't make it in a variety of different ways. They drop out, they do drugs, they go to prison and, and, we, and we, we've seen those examples and we, we, you know, we deal with that. And so uh, even though people still try to debate that these factors impacted people like that, uh, it's still the reality, it's still happening. But we don't give a lot of consideration to the traits that help you overcome. Because the, 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 even though we've all went through uh, oppression and all that discrimination or whatever, it looked different in my generation than perhaps it looked in your generation. It was the same, the same thing. A monkey in a silk suit is still a monkey, but it, it made, the face of the monkey might have looked a little different in, in your uh, new school generation. So give us your take on what triggers you. you at this point, you're running for office, uh, you're a law school student, you've already got a master's degree, you're sitting here with your hat on backwards, so we know you got some G in you. So with, with, with all that, with all of whoever your experience has been, you still are here, and you still are dealing in a head-on way in, in this environment. What were some of the things that you would say help you to overcome? Hmm. I would say... Up until I started wrestling, I was bad. I was getting suspended all the time and fights all the time. So I think wrestling helped with my growth as a as a boy, as a man, to become a man. Mm-hmm. It instilled some discipline and it gave me something to do outside of just running around the streets and just doing whatever. But I think a lot of stuff I learned to suppress in a way, mm-hmm. even though I was going through a lot of like seeing a lot of stuff and going through a lot. I just suppress it and just be like, whatever. I can't be stuck in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I don't know. It was like some instinct. Like every time something bad was, I felt something bad happening. I just walk away. Mm-hmm. Then after I walk away, five, ten minutes later, somebody was getting shot at or or, or getting stopped by the police or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt like I just always could adapt. And I just never thought I was stupid. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think that was the one thing, just in elementary, I was like you could just feel the vibe from some of the teachers where they just expect nothing of you, mm-hmm. and the part was like I'm not stupid, like I'm like I'm getting in trouble, but I'm not stupid. I could do the homework. They they could never say I could I couldn't do the homework. I couldn't read. I couldn't do nothing. But I would still act out. I was still getting fights, and they just look at you like you stupid. And I was just like I'm not stupid. I just I'm going through a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us do that, uh, bury it. You know, we don't we don't like to deal with it. So, so and we got to be in the moment and keep it moving. And I think you you for me it was like a, like I had to I couldn't sit and think about all the everything that was going on because then that's how you like you get you get caught up because you 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 slow down because you stay in here when you could just. I could have slowed down, stayed somewhere, not went to wrestling practice, not went to school that day, and just stayed on the block or mm-hmm. went went to this place, and I didn't. Cause I was like, dude, like, yeah, I think like I'm gonna go, 
but I'm gonna go do this first. That that was me. Like I would, yes, I hung yeah. out. I yeah. I got it. Like yeah. I did everything every normal teenage boy do, but I t- but I made sure to be at the places I was supposed to be at. Yeah. I think uh, the military. Uh, I think the Marines. Uh, that was my uh, my refugee, my refuge, if you will. And I knew that if I could go, if I can, if I can get through the Marine Corps, <laughs> that I can handle just about anything. Mm-hmm. So the Marine Corps was uh, was was definitely one of my mechanisms that was able to navigate the system. Uh, six brothers, uh, five of my brothers, total of eighty years. And I'm the only one that has not been incarcerated, but I came close so many, <laughs> so many times. But uh, uh, I think my mom and my and my my grandma especially was always in my ear to, to say you, you can do better. And I think for me, I had to also adjust because I got my bachelor's, and I was like the whole time going through school, I made it. Like I'm getting a bachelor's, first person in my family. I graduated, I'm about to get a good job, all that. No, because I was arrested before. So mm-hmm. I tried to be a coach at the university that I wrestled for, and they told they they just told me no. Like you basically looked at me like I was a criminal. So I was like, okay, whatever. And that just drove me, and I was like, okay. So then I ended up working at a high school in St. Louis, and then I ended up working at a boys and girls club that was in Ferguson, and that was like, okay, yeah, this is I, I like this, I enjoy this. So then I came back home, and I was working. Then I ended up meeting Willie and just got back into it, but I was still being, like, told, like, no, like, I'm telling you, when I say I've applied to almost every company in this city and been told no, mm. because of my background, like, it's not too many places I haven't applied. I, I just put it like that. So, for me, it was just like, I'm not a criminal. Like, I'm been arrested for defending myself and my family like I didn't commit a crime I defended myself and my mm-hmm. so I was like okay that's that's another obstacle for me so I went back to school and got a master's and then still with a master's you still got a record <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's just like you still got to keep doing more for a black man I think it's it's just horrible like you got to keep doing all this extra stuff to prove that you're not something and I so I I guess my motivation is just to prove the world that I'm not a criminal, and that I that I'm that I'm bigger than all those stereotypes that they place on us. Mm. And defy the lie. <laughs> I, I think uh, with you, uh, when, when we got to know each other, and I saw what type of individual you were, the degree that you had, and you were still having all these problems, it really angered me because I'm like. He's doing the right thing. He has a freaking misdemeanor on his freaking record. And this is stopping stopping him from getting any type of decent employment. And um, it, it upset me. And I'm saying, well, if he's having a problem like that, and he got a degree and a misdemeanor, imagine all these guys coming out here who have a felony on their record. They don't stand a chance. Mm-hmm. But once, once you went the route and we found out that the mayor could do some do yeah. something about the thing and it only took what a couple of weeks if that then everything started opening up for you and um well the funny part back to like getting no job in omaha i i got a full-time job but it wasn't in omaha <laughs> so it's still that I, I still think that problem persists because 
you hear a lot of people talking about we want to uh, where we we hire people with records, but that's a lie because honestly, if you got they'll they'll let you do the application, but once they do the background, they're just gonna throw it like you're not getting a job. Is you you still having problems? No, I'm not having. What I'm saying is like I still think it's out, like the problem is still there. Oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah and that's that's, that's a sad <laughs> that's, that's a sad thing. Like you man. got all these companies that are talking about like, talking about diversity and inclusion and all this stuff because it's the thing to do, but they still I guarantee it deny people because of their background and some of these people didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And that's why for us, <laughs> the trades. And owning your own business is the best way. Because with that, all those barriers don't play a role in that. And uh, that's why we're pushing so many people towards the trades and and towards entrepreneurship. We actually just got a letter today from uh, Juan Everardo. And 60%, over 60% of the people that we interacted with and sent to the trades, not only are they still working there, being the apprenticeship training program. So that was that was big it was huge for us to receive a letter from Juan and knowing that we're doing the right thing. Mm. Yeah, I was just gonna just say take from what you were saying that those uh just listen to what you're saying, those are all the elements that are presented in the whole process of healing. One of the things that we know that is true, that rites of passage, right? And what rites of passage is looked at in America today is soccer, is basketball, is football, is all these type of what we call activities. But in reality, we have responded to rites of passage as a people, meaning that at, uh, a child understands what it takes to get to the next level. I'm uh, in elementary school, and what does it mean to be uh, a young man? What does it mean to be a teenager? You see what I mean? What does it mean to be a young adult? And what are the type of things I have to accomplish in order to get to that next level? You know, in our ancestors, you might have to go out and hunt. You might have to go, you know, uh, tame, not tame a lion, but you know, <laughs> you might have to go, you know, deal with some right. something out off in the, in the, in the uh, wilderness, whatever. But there are certain things that are expected of you in many cultures, like when you look at a Jewish culture or a Latin culture, they have these various events and celebrations and rituals and bar mitzvahs and kenyatas and all these type of things that are built into the culture where folks know what it means to, to, to grow up and get to these different levels. And so to have a situation where what it means to get to a rite of passage is go to jail, that's a rite of passage. Yeah. A rite of passage is have a baby. You see what I mean? A rite of passage. Those kinds of things uh, says we still respond to rites of passage, but even if they're negative. Yeah. And so as, to, as, a, as a solution, which means, of course, we really have to start focusing on solutions. We have to build those kinds of things within our community that are rites of passage no matter if it's wrestling or whatever it is, a number of different things that don't just take into consideration those that are athletic among us. Uh, we have something for those that are intellectual and academic among us, those that are entrepreneurial among us, to build those kinds of things within our schools and within our cultures, within our churches, etc. that gives children a sense of rites of passage. So I noticed you, you said that. Then another aspect of it is the whole aspect of spirituality. 
to, to have enough clarity to be able to have a sense in your spirit that I need to leave this situation right here, right now. I need to leave. That ain't, that's, not, that's not necessarily cognitive. That's something down in your knower, down in your deep inside, that is your internal guidance system. Mm. One of the things having to do with Community Healing Network is really learn to cultivate your internal guidance system and have clarity with that so that I'm not doing things that are constantly against my own value system and here and, and aligning yourself with other supports within the community that ultimately uh, we were able to draw upon uh, folks in the government based on that type of support that you may not have been able to do by yourself. You may not have been able to write a letter on your own and just on your own name. Mm -hmm. But with that community, you see what I mean? Alliance, that community uh, support, you were able to do that. So that's a, a strong factor. And I think another one that we dealt with a lot in that process, and again, I, I just we obviously understand some of the issues and they, they need to be understood clearly, but solutions need to be understood too. The final one I'll, I'll leave you with that does come from this whole process of community healing is the whole concept of mindfulness. No, no, no. Mindfulness and what it means to do something simple as breathe. And that uh, when you start to take those kind of coping skills, learn uh, the power of your breathing and the rhythm of your breathing and how to calm yourself down, how to uh, center yourself just based on your breathing and your ability to come into the here and now, that that is a skill, a coping skill, a living skill that you can develop. And so that our spirituality is not just a matter of religious uh, activity that go on on Wednesday and Sunday, but there are certain things, uh, principles of, of coping that don't have that con condemnation with it. You're right, you're wrong, don't go here, don't do that, don't wear this, don't wear that. You see what I mean? Those kinds of things that really put a sense of condemnation on folks, but to understand that there are practical coping, living, mindfulness skills that I can practice in my day-to-day -day life, and I can practice it in a corporate way with other people that is helpful too. So just listen to you say that. So once you know that's going to add to my research, when I do my thing, those are going to be some of the things that I, I draw upon because I think there are certain things that are elements within our society that are solution uh, focused that we need to draw out and do what we can to make sure that they are built into, uh, into what we do in the community. And I think uh, Enola and Dr. Grills mm -hmm. really tied everything back to Afrocentric, knowing our culture mm -hmm. and our identity. Yes. And that was stripped away from us. Yes. You know, so uh, to be able to tap into those, those things to be able to help us uh, get through some of the pain and suffering that we're going through, that's a powerful thing. That's why these healing circles are so necessary and needed because it really do gives you the tools uh, to be able to better handle situations if you will. I agree which is why like I created when well, I started saying black dream mm. it's because I got to that point I was like dude like this American dream is not for us yeah. I bought like I was sold it my whole life and I bought into it I was like I'm straight after I get a degree I'm straight I'm I'm gonna be straight my daughter gonna be straight but that's not true it's not something that was made or fits us one we was never immigrants the American dream is for an immigrant population 
We mm-hmm. we didn't come here voluntarily. Mm-hmm. So it's never been set up for us to succeed. And I think we got to get away from telling our kids to just go this route that I've, I talk to people all the time. Like, I got so many friends now of, that I went to school with that got degrees. And it's like, dude, like I'm still struggling. I'm still trying to make it. I'm still trying to do a side hustle and do this and do that yeah. just to even get to where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those folks, man, have degrees and it's on the wall. And they without without a job, <laughs> you yeah. know. And uh, but I see right now I'm seeing things on a national level that gives me some type of hope. Uh, I'm speaking of Michael Jordan. I ain't never saw Michael Jordan do anything, but for anybody. But he just came out and gave seven million dollars. I said, man, things are things are starting to change. You see a lot of folks, LeBron. You see so many folks understanding they got to give back. They got to give back if we want to be able to build 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 a, a decent future for our children. But I think besides the money, we need our black professionals to be in the streets. We need to get our doctors in the streets, our psychologists, our all these people. We need them in the streets because if 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 we gonna change the because if if, our, if we are gonna change a perception that our kids have that making money fat fast money is the route. Then we need people with those type of in those type of professions to be in the streets and show kids like, hey, you could go to school and make two hundred thousand dollars a year, and you don't got to take all these risks. Mm-hmm. But right now, none of those people are in the streets. Mm. And see, well, that's what we try to do. We t- we try to bring those folks in front of our kids because most of the time they don't see those folks. Most of the time they see what. No, they see the dope dealers, yeah. hustlers in the whole nine yards. <laughs> so if you never see anything outside of that, how can you aspire to be anything other than that? Nothing. So rationalize so, going to prison. Yep. So we need we need to have doctors and lawyers and psychologists be out there in front of our kids and say, look, you can accomplish this because I look, I see you. Oh, you're a therapist. You black. Most of the time, you never see a black therapist. No. A black doctor. <laughs> so to be able to uh, see someone like that in front of you, it's a powerful thing, man, to give our kids hope. Uh, and uh, we got to start doing that. I think, yeah, I think, man, I, I, I wrote that down. So, you know, I'm going to uh, rip you off a little bit on that black dream thing you got going on there. <laughs> I'm going to see, I'm going to call it the African-American dream as opposed to the uh, American dream, the African. What is the African American dream? Now I'm sure you probably could say some things about that in terms of the black dream versus the African American dream. That's, that's probably a, a different. That, that's an advocate. Have, hey, take it easy on me. Don't, don't do that. That's an advocate. But uh, but what I was going to say in regards to what does the dream look like in the black community? If we was to break it down from a professional standpoint, and we have all these metrics where we're behind everybody else in America on in regards to health the, the the dream would say are the quality of our health increases the dream would say the harmony and the lack of crime and violence in our community decreases you follow what I'm saying the dream would say our ability to activate our own business and and uh, uh, develop our own entrepreneurship and have our own business such as Wall Street, Black, uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, 
and the insurance district in Raleigh, Durham, and, and the other uh, place that is in uh, that was in Florida, and a variety of different other places that uh, demonstrate our ability to do that. The dream would say that it's in, increased in that respect. The dream would say that our, our family structure has been strengthened to where we have uh, more solid and supported families. And so I think when we talk about, and this is some work that we can do in, in, with the uh, Black Gender Alliance, and because the Community Healing Network has a goal for the year 2020 as to what community healing looks like in the Black community. What does that look like? And basically, we know that there are certain metrics that we can measure our health and wellness. And we're talking economically, we're talking about family, we're talking about social, we're talking about political, all that. We're able to measure those things. And in order for us to have a piece of our dream is that within our village, we have improved on all those identified things. Those various identified things that are very obvious uh, that we've identified on. And it definitely does start with our mental, emotional, psychological, and spiritual health, which is the foundation for, for all the rest of it. Uh, and, and so to me, uh, the, with the Community Healing Network, they, they paint a picture of blue skies, and uh, a light blue is their main color to illustrate and to have a goal. Because again, we talk a lot about the problem, but I think at some point in time, it's like what the word says, you know, God looks at the end from the beginning, that we have to have some sense of where we're going and what is it we're trying to do and to be able to measure that in some very identifiable ways as the, uh, as what we really, I mean, really hope for within our community. Now, what we really hope for, and if, if we don't, if we lose that hope, you know, uh, that's a problem. And the whole idea, I mean, I don't want to throw any controversy out there at the end, but the whole idea of us having a community that's not necessarily, uh, you know, integrated. That it's a community where, you know, it is probably a predominantly, you know, black community. And that it's black supported, black uh, funded, you see what I mean? And that uh, to build from that, uh, not to say that there, you know, there never should be a law that says, you can't live wherever you want to live. You live wherever you want to live. Wherever you, wherever your money wants to take you, wherever you want to be, whoever you want to marry, whatever you want to do, that's your business. But we, but to understand finally that we have a community, and that it's necessary for us to build that community. Uh, you, I go to Chicago. There's uh, the Italian community. There is Chinatown. Yeah. There is all these different places, and nobody's making an apology for that. No one's making an apology for how they do the type of things to keep their community together, keep their families together, and, and all that kind of stuff. They don't, they don't apologize for that. Not too many communities, not only in America, but across the world, does that. Uh, but somehow we feel you know, it necessary for us to um, get away from that. And I think a lot of times it has to do with resources. I need to, you know, as they say, get out of the hood, so to speak, as uh, something to aspire for. Sometimes it's just fear, man. Most people don't want to give up what they got. Yeah. They don't want to make a sacrifice. Uh, and then you have individuals who are, don't want to be activists, they'd rather be advocates. I want to mess with you, dog. People that <laughs> you know, but you know, until we're willing 
until we're willing to die for change, ain't nothing going to happen. Most everybody around here are scared to come out and speak truth to power. How do we get, how do we get past the fear? And I think the only way we do that, we got to deal with us. And we got to get behind closed doors mm-hmm. and deal with us and why these things are taking place. And that's hopefully, that's what these meetings are going to be about. How do we work through, our, through us? Because at the end of the day, the cavalry is not coming, bro. Mm-hmm. They're not. But we are so divided in our community. And I think, I know for a fact, white supremacy, uh, racism has a huge part in that. And William Lynch is alive and well in the great state of Nebraska. Yep. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, if you missed this live show, you could listen to us on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Google Play. And I think that's it. But if you missed it, you can listen to us on there. Thank you. Hey, man, before you go out here, man, give your website one more time. Uh, visit my website, peopleforterrellmckinney.com, to learn more about me and to also donate. You can also follow me on Facebook, Terrell McKinney, LD11. And if you want anything else, just call me, 402-213-9328. Thank you. What time is your, your flight? I ain't got it yet. I've been working since, the, since that call. I got off that call. I've been doing something ever since then. then I, was going well, I told you we got to the three. You got to three. I ain't, well, that ain't the problem, man. The problem is the time to sit down and act good. I'm pretty good at it, though. Uh, Priceline has been good to me, so I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get it when I get home tonight. <laughs>